Our theme for this month is called Family Culture. Uh, last month we did uh, Church Culture. And each theme we do is to partner uh, and to identify the narrative or the story of what God is saying and doing in our lives. One, as a church family, but uh, especially as individuals and especially as people that are walking with God. Because what's really cool about God is he doesn't just pop in here and there and say random things, but that he's tied to our journey. And there's a narrative and there's a story that he's developing in our life. And it's totally tied to our transformation. It's totally tied to our future and our destination, our hopes, our practices every day. And we say culture because it gives a little bit of a more accurate insight to exactly how God goes about it. Because culture is a little bit more immersive than some of the other ways we can communicate this. And it really goes into how we see achievement, our customs, our practices, the way we express ourselves in the arts and creativity. And it is a real immersive experience to walk with God. Uh, I was at Disneyland just recently. Uh, and on Monday, oh my goodness, that's right, yeah. So I, we made it. Uh, Jess and I made it to the other end. So that kind of, kind of, I was sitting at the park bench there, uh, and uh, I was just the three, the four kids were there with me, uh, and then Jess went to go get a, a bread bowl, uh, and it was like 9.30 at night or something like that, 9 o'clock, and we got there at 8 a.m., so with four kids under the age of five, five and under, we stayed there for 13 hours, and I've done... I've done days where I worked and I ran and I did sports for like 12 to 14 hours, played like four games in one day, two practices, and I didn't feel as bad at the end of that day as I did <laughs> at the end of Disneyland. At one point, I had a pain in my chest. I wasn't really sure what was happening. I was like, this might be the end. I'm not sure. <laughs> Honestly, this dad sat next to me uh, and his wife was somewhere as well, and we had this shared experience of, of pain, and, uh, and we could tell we didn't even talk to one another, but you could tell we were equally suffering, so, but it was all for our kids, and so we were really excited about that, but, um, and he didn't say any of these things to me, I just assumed this is what he was thinking and feeling, uh, but it was, a, it was a fun time, and uh, so it was great, and so we made it through, and really excited about that. But we're talking about family culture, and the whole goal here with family culture is that we could put the way we've experienced our families, the way we're building our families, side by side with the nature of Heavenly Father. Cool? You guys down for that? Awesome. We've all experienced families. Uh, each of us have different kinds of families, uh, and we all get to experience Heavenly Father together. And get to grow and develop with him. So we'll be uh, opening up the Bible and we'll be starting right out in the scripture. Uh, Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Uh, Matthew 10, oh, excuse me, no, that's going to be the second scripture. Matt, uh, Mark 3, 21, 31 through 35. Uh, but we will be in uh, Matthew 10, 34 through 39 as well. But starting in Mark 3, 21 and 31 through 35, just to give you a context here. Jesus was really just beginning to amp up his ministry, calling some disciples to himself and, and to following him as he follows Father and as he does as Father does. And his family and people around him started to kind of get a little bit concerned. Uh, and his family, the, the, when it, it starts right here in verse 21, it says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. So in context here, his family was concerned about Jesus' behavior. And Jesus' approach, but as we know, Jesus' approach was perfectly modeled after Father's. 
And so his family has a concern for him and a concern over him, and they really feel like what he is doing, his will expressed, is a little out of whack. And in 31, uh, it goes on to talk about, and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those set around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So we see this really initially maybe kind of like challenging, like it feels like Jesus is saying something maybe a little bit challenging. But then when you really look at it very closely, you begin to realize the pattern and the language that Jesus is creating when it comes to our families and then when it comes to how we relate to our Heavenly Father and the will of our Heavenly Father. And there's going to be a lot of times where we recognize that the will that was created in us that comes partially from our family is not exactly in line with the will of our Heavenly Father. And there's going to be a lot of times where we recognize this. No matter how good our family is, we get this beautiful opportunity uh, to whether we've created and built the family or we are experiencing the family, we're all going to get the opportunity to, and my kids, Brixton, Brightly, Presley, and Monroe, um, they're going to get the opportunity one, one day to realize exactly the nature and the dynamic and culture that I created in our family, and they're going to put it side by side with the nature of Jesus, and they're going to find some of my approach is not exactly resembling the will of Father. And they're going to find some of it, hopefully, has been a blessing and has been an encouragement and has been like, yes, that's such an asset to me. It totally gave me great clarity over who Father is. But ultimately, I want us to understand that in our family cultures, we're going to experience a mixed bag of some things were Father's will and some things weren't at all reflective of who Father in heaven is. And, and our approach is simply this, is okay, Father, your will be done, not my own. And when we have this prayer and we have this language with Father, one, we begin to realize, like, our families aren't perfect. And also we realize that Father's design for us is to pursue Him and to be about His will being established in our lives. And this is how we see family culture really being encouraged by Jesus, is that now there's a way that you go about things and there's a way that you experienced your family culture and it led you to think, feel, and act in certain ways currently, right now. And in some of those things, the will of your family is strong and the will of your family is heavily at play. I know for, for a lot of years, like the Goulet name or my mom's mother's side, uh, my, mom, my mom's maiden name, the Taifal, uh, I'm really good at French side, says, uh, and we're all known for being competitive. And so it's like goulets are competitive, typhoons are competitive. When I would go over to my grandpa's cabin, he'd have this lake in front of it. And most of the time, our days were spent doing some version of trying to win something. Whether it be board games or chess, or we did like king of the the boat on the lake and my cousin, my uncles were up there and we're all just trying to get in on the top and win king of the hill and it was this little docking thing out in the middle of the water and my cousin my uncles are just very strong they were all in like uh, construction and so their hands were like vice grips 
<laughs> and it did it a little bit hairy too. So there's just like, it's just like primal, just like throwing me off the boat. I had no chance. I was like 12. And, uh, but this was, this was the dynamic and this is the culture of family I came from is that we were competitive and we're winners and we're great at sports. We're athletic. We're smart. We're strategic. We know how to get an angle and an edge on things. And all of a sudden in my life, I had this beautiful opportunity to realize that the, the will of Father wasn't always about me being competitive and winning. And my will to win was sometimes in direct conflict with the will of Father. But I received this from my family, and you might have received things that you can recognize that you received them in your family right now, or that you're instilling in your kids right now that you might recognize like, Man, I don't know if that's the will of Father expressed in my family. I don't know if that's the culture that Heavenly Father has designed for me to partake in. I don't know if that's exactly how he feels. I don't know if that's exactly how he thinks. And, and, and yet this is who I am right now. This is my will expressed in my life. And when you think about Father in and Father through, or Jesus in you, the hope of glory, or Jesus in you and through you, you think about and you understand that sometimes his will being engaged in you and through you is in direct conflict with what your current status quota will is. There's a way that seems right to a man in the end it leads to death. There is a manner in which we act and we live and we feel and we breathe. And sometimes we begin to realize that it isn't from father's heart or will. It isn't the story that he was telling, but it's something we received. It's something that is inside of us, either genetically or in our atmosphere growing up. And we get this beautiful opportunity, like you see in this story right here, not to put the will of our family as our priority transformative expression, but to put the will of Father as our primary transformative expression. To saying yes to Father, whatever your will is, let it become my will. Whatever your attitude is, let it become my attitude. Whatever your perspective of me and your perspective of other is, others are, let it become my perspective. You know, so many times uh, when, I, when, I began, when I grew up, it took me about five to seven years to unpack the competitive will inside of me, the will to win inside of me. And uh, I really didn't know how to have like friend nights where you're just playing games and having fun. You know, to me, apples to apples was an opportunity to try and figure out how to dismantle everybody around me and become the greatest apples to apples player ever in the entire world. And so I'd be playing apples to apples and it's like everyone's like thought they were there to have fun, but you didn't know that I was there to win. <laughs> and, and so there's these moments and opportunities where you begin to realize you can't even be connected in relationship with people because you carry or we carry this culture that didn't come from him, but it came from something else. There's a way we've learned to live. There's a way we've learned to survive. There's a way we've learned to communicate towards one another. And sometimes we realize that it's not rooted in the will of Father. Sometimes we realize that it's rooted in defensiveness. It's rooted in insecurity. It's rooted in bitterness. It's rooted in anger. It's rooted in some version of humanity apart from God. So what do we do with this? What do we do when we realize that our culture we're experiencing in family or the culture we're building in family isn't really Heavenly Father's will or culture? Well, we go on a transformative journey. 
We go on a journey where we begin to recognize that the moments we experience in family, the moments we continue to experience in family culture that have triggered us or that have caused us to realize that we aren't exactly like Father in the ways we'd love, we get a beautiful opportunity in those places of weakness for us to posture ourselves in humility before Father and allow the power of Christ to rest upon us. And this isn't easy at all. When I go to raise my kids now, I have to ask this question, like when my kid's playing soccer, what do I infuse in him? I know that I know what I would, I know how the, the, the goulet competitiveness would will itself here. I know what it would do here. Uh, we, you know, you would, you would practice until things were sore and then you kept going and you kept going. If you wanted to be great at soccer, you slept with the soccer ball. You, 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 you hugged the soccer ball. You carried it around or you kicked it around. I see for me as basketball. So I carry the basketball around. I would spin it. I would touch it. I would just every bit of every fiber of the basketball. It was like, I needed this to become an extension of me. Any sports players out there? Some people are just looking at me like, that is weird, bro. That's a rubber ball, and that is strange. <laughs> but, but this is the reality of an athlete is that you think just like, this needs to be my life. This needs to be the way I breathe and think and feel. And the reality is, is that it, it's not our life. It's not the thing that was designed to sustain us or provide significance to us. And if anything besides the will of Father provides our significance, then we've got a dislocated relationship with Father. So if our family provides our significance, we've got to remove that definer and that authorship from our family to Heavenly Father. If our families form and shape our wills, as, as adults I'm talking, because as kids there's a season and there's a time where our parents are raising us and cultivating things inside of us and they're establishing our will and they're teaching us and fostering us and that's beautiful. And as parents we should seek to do it to, to the best of our abilities to match the nature of Heavenly Father. But as, 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 as grown folks and as adults we get to have, ask ourselves this beautiful question. Does the will of my family provide my significance? Does it provide my value and my worth? And if it does, in a very loving way, it's time for me to take that pen. It's time for me to take that definer and hand it to Father in heaven. Because Father in heaven really sh truly should hold the pen of formation for our life that writes the significance in the narrative of our story in our life. And if I'm incredibly disrupted when I go and spend time with my family, by my fathers or my mothers or my sisters or my brothers, if my confidence is disrupted, if your confidence is disrupted, it's time for us to take those places of value and significance and remove them from the hands of those walking around us and then place them in the hands of Father. See, our, our design and our family culture is really at this point not for family to shape us, but for us to love family. This is our design because when we go to Father in heaven, it's his role to design our will. It's his role for us to have our will shaped like his will, not for our families. So right now in our family cultures, especially as we are grown, it's so important that we understand that while family shaped a lot of our will up to a certain point, genetically and in our atmospheres growing up, it's so important that we take the whole, the whole expression of our will and that we bring it before Jesus every single day and we say, okay, awesome. What gets to grow today?
What gets to die today? What gets to get consumed in the Holy Spirit's fire, all-consuming fire? What gets to get adjusted today? What part of my posture or my attitude gets to get whoop, turned around today? And I, I find this to be incredibly interesting that, that our families provide such a place of significance and such a place of identity in us. There's a, there's a, a real difficulty understanding exactly how do we relate to our family if they don't have the permission to form us and to shape us any longer. Well, we must unpack that our will is to be shaped by Father and our love is to be given to family. We've got to unpack those two things. You can honor people and not give them permission to form you. That true honor does not look like I give you the formation of my life. That's an honor that is designed and designated for our Heavenly Father. And while there's an appreciation and a gratitude for sure over those things which you've received from family, from those that coached you, instructed you, and taught you, even in a place of imperfection, there's an understanding that although grateful, the fullness and the true sincere formation of your will belongs to Father. Belongs to Father. And this is why, and the, the next scripture here is, is is in uh, Matthew 10, 34 through 39, because Jesus said some really interesting things about family as he began to communicate the culture of the kingdom, the culture of Father. And in 34, it says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves the father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's a lot of things to unpack in this. First of all, when Jesus is talking about division and creating division, he's talking about the, being a part of a culture that rejected him in part, and embraced him as Lord and Savior in another part. So he's saying there will be those that are sons or daughter-in-laws and father-in-laws that will follow me, and there are those that will stay a part of the established culture, and in that sense, division will be created. There will be those that are like, yay, I say yes to Jesus, and those that say, hey, we should probably kill this guy because he's, he's teaching heresies, he's teaching blasphemous things. And in that sense, that's what Jesus is pointing to. He's like, hey, I'm kind of a disruptor to our current culture. Yes, I'm salvation to one, but to another person, I'm removing their power. I'm removing the religious standard of power, and, and, and that's what he did. He created an incredible disruption in that sense. So that's what Jesus is referring to in 34 and 35. But then he points to something that I think is really incredibly modernly, modern relevant to us, which he says, loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Taking the cross, that symbol of taking the cross means that this journey with Jesus is symbolized in the cross, meaning the fullness of what you represented before you gave your life to Jesus is always on the altar. What does that include? That includes a lot. That includes your, your racial identity. That includes your national identity. That includes your, your, your gender identity. That includes uh, the identity that you found in your family. 
that when it says, take up your cross and follow me, it says the symbolism of all of these significant identities in your life. Lay them on the altar, and those things which would, should remain, Jesus will have them remain, and those things which shouldn't remain, they will be removed. But the ultimate reality is, is that we, we engage in an absolute trust relationship with Jesus. What does absolute trust look like? Well, it's kind of hard for us to understand it at times because we don't have a lot of absolute trust relationships in our life. Because we understand that people are measured, that people have motives, and we understand even the best of those around us have places where we're like, hmm, I don't know. And we reserve trust. And it's really difficult to understand what absolute trust looks like. Because although we love people greatly, maybe husbands and wives and sons and daughters or mothers and fathers, that absolute trust thing is a little bit tenuous. Because sometimes it's based out of immaturity. I can't trust them because they're immature. Sometimes it's based out of my measure of your motive. Like I can't entrust myself to you because I kind of know what's in your heart. So absolute trust relationships are really hard to understand. But when I talk about, and when we talk about entering into an absolute trust with Jesus, it's blindly allowing him to author you. And we don't do that very often with people. It's pretty rare for us to say, here you go, here's a pen. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to put my hands out like this. Write on the, write on the tablets of my heart whatever's in your design. I'm not even going to ask you what you're doing. I'm not even going to need to know before I give you permission to author me. I'm going to trust you with the formation of my life. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. First it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your mind being made new, so that you may prove what is the perfect and acceptable will of God. How do you identify what the will of God is for your life? You become transformed into it. Oftentimes we're like, Jesus, tell me about what this will looks like and I'm going to work on being that. But so often Jesus is just waiting for you to give him permission to author his will in your life. It's a really strange dynamic. Most of the other things in our life are instruction and knowledge first and then skill set is acquired after that. Ability to do it comes after you've received the knowledge. But in a relationship with Jesus, ability to be like him does not, is not preceded by knowledge, but it's preceded by trust. And he creates it in you. And literally, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the one that actually gives you the ability to do that which you have the knowledge you should be doing. But without Christ's grace inside of you you, 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 you hear him say to the lame man, stretch out your hands. And without Christ's ability, you're just a lame man that can't stretch out his hand yet. Or he says to the, to the man that can't walk, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And without the grace and the power of God in your life, you can't stand up and walk. So there's an understanding in family culture and a, and a reality in our cultures as families that, that actually what we're doing is we're really trying to find the nature of father and see it realized in our life and in our formation. That our sons and our daughters and our, our mothers and our fathers, our grandfathers and our grandmothers, our aunties and uncles, we can have family cultures that are, are all committed to this idea of pursuing father. That are all committed to this idea of a standard that exceeds any of our standards as people, but goes way beyond that. 
Like hopefully at some point my kids recognize because I tell them all the time that dad, while he may be great and he may be amazing and he may win apples to apples a lot, no, <laughs> but, but dad is simply efforting to the heart and the nature of Heavenly Father. And Brixton, Brightly, Presley, and Monroe, I'll tell them more when they're older and they get it. There's going to be a lot of ways that I miss it. There's going to be a lot of the nature of Father that you're going to access that I missed. But I'm committed every single day of my life to wake up with the instinct and the initiative inside of me to find his heart, to find his will, to find the nature of who he is. And to take every form of how my mind currently works right now and surrender it. You know how hard that is? When I was like, all right, God, I'm not going to be a competitive person. I'm going to give that to you. I've told you this before. I didn't know who I'd be on the other end. Because when you're talking about giving up the identity of, of who you've been in family... When you talk about giving up the identity of who you've been in your race or in your nation, when you talk about giving these things up and them not being your primary formations, then what you're talking about is like, who am I? Who am I? You're like, you're like, <laughs> when, remember when Simba looked in the water and he, Mufasa is like, remember who you are? Do you remember this? Like there's an element of who we are where, where when we are called to lay our identities down, everything we've known about who we are, and we're called to lay them down, all of a sudden, everything is unstable. I've done, have you done personality tests? You ever done these? Uh, I was talking with Donovan the other day, and he was laughing, because I was laughing at what he was saying. He's like, man, I, he's like, I've taken every single personality test, and I have multiple personalities, and I don't know what to do with any of them. And he was joking about it, and I, I really was laughing. I have my degree in psychology, so I, I, I really enjoy them. But, uh, but the, there's this idea that when you take these tests and you get this knowledge about how you've kind of been constructed and some of your default mechanics, you're like, hey, that's me. Cool. Awesome. And I'm always want to like, let people know, like, be really careful about, hey, that's me. Awesome. Because there's, there's a place of conclusion and a conviction that you develop. And sometimes the convictions we found in recognizing what are our default mechanics or the convictions we found in our family culture can be some of the greatest places of bondage in our walk with God. Like sometimes we've come from like conservative Republican families. And so there's some things about the nature of God that can be incredibly difficult if we, if we don't understand that we aren't a conservative, but we're a son of God. And if you, if you take any identity, whether it be not, not even political or you, I'm a liberal or I'm a, I'm a conservative or maybe you're like, I'm, a, uh, I'm an extreme sports guy or I'm a sports guy or I'm not really a sports guy. I'm a music guy. I love music. I love creativity. Or you're like, I'm not really any of those things. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I don't know what you feel like you are or what you find the greatest affinity to as your identity but I can guarantee you that Father is calling you on a journey where that won't be the significance of your life. You'll do things. And you might even do things in a certain pattern because Father's led you to do them that people are like, you know what you are? Boom. And that's awesome. That's fine. If people observe a pattern because you've been faithful to walk with God, woohoo! 
But you know what? I'm not going to draw myself to this place of I'm a winner, I'm a competitor. I'm not going to draw myself even to the places of my identity is that I'm a pastor. I'm not going to draw myself to the identity that I'm a, I'm a number one guy. I've got a dominant personality, so i got to be in charge. No, 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 no. I can be and will be whatever Father's will is for my life. So in one sense, I can be a dominant personality. I can take charge. I can get the sword at the front of the pack and go, woo, that way, baby, let's go. And we can run. And then in another climate, another scene, because Father's posturing my heart in that way, I can go, who do I serve? Who do I need to honor with their leadership and how can I, like, I don't need to be about what my current default personality is. I can be and will be whatever Father's will and design for my life is. And uh, there's this scripture in the Bible where, where it, it talks about the Father desired the fullness for the Son. And it's a really difficult embrace to have. That my life doesn't need to be compartmentalized and realized only in a sliver here. That this is what I'm gifted in. So this is my design to walk with God in these ways. But a walk with God is holistic. And it goes way beyond your giftedness and your strength. It's in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. In all of them. I really love this because it begins to form and shape everything about our lives. Walking with God and having the will of Father realized in our life isn't just spiritual. It's also really practical. Really practical. How do I discipline my kids? How do I coach my kids? How do I, how do I engage with them relationally? What do I talk to them about? What entertainment do we engage in? What music do we listen to? How often do we go to church? Why do we go to church? What's the role of church community? What's the role of family community? Our immediate blood family. And how do these two things relate to one another? I've been really curious about how family culture and church culture has developed side by side. Because there used to be a time where going to church every Sunday was pretty much a no-brainer. That in church culture, this was the thing. I can't tell you, I didn't miss too many Sundays growing up. It was like, if I was breathing, I was at church on Sunday morning. That was, <laughs> that was pretty much the thing. Every once in a while, I'd have tournaments and things like that that would cause me to, lead it, uh, to leave it. But even when I was sick, my parents would be like, hey, you know the best place to be when you're sick? <laughs> church. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> this is the reality, though. There's this, there was this practice in church culture that had us at church. So I would spend about 20 hours a week at church. Wednesday, three services on Sunday, and this was like two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour services because you did two altar calls during worship, you did two at the end of service, and then you stayed till everyone was gone, till the only people left was you, your brother, sister, and two cockroaches, and then you left, you know? And that was the reality of it. But what does a family culture look like in building this thing? And what does it look like side-by-side -side with our church culture? I think you begin to ask the questions and then you go, okay, well, do we need to have a church practice for Halloween? Like for the first time ever in my life, I went door to door asking for candy, trick or treating on Halloween. I'm 31 years old. I have four kids and I have a wife. My kids are five, three, two, and 
four months. I've never been trick-or-treating. Has anybody had an undefeated 31-year streak of never trick-or-treating? 31 years, never trick-or-treated in my entire life. I was actually told that that's what demons did. They trickered or treated you. And so we can't do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. So anyways, <laughs> if you're against trick-or-treating, that's fine. If you like trick-or-treating, that's fine. I'm not trying to make a statement about any of that. All I'm trying to say is that for 30 years of my life, I went to the family fun fair. I had a Christian alternative for my family culture practice. For I don't know how many years, secular music was pretty much like a no, just no. I listened to Third Day. I listened to uh, what? Mercy Me, Avalon, Crystal Lewis, Reliant K, uh, Skillet. Wait, what? I didn't do that. I didn't listen to Toby Mac. I was done by then, but. <laughs> but then I got into high school and I played basketball and all of a sudden, like, there was no such thing as worship music getting hyped for a basketball game. You listen to T.I., bring them out, bring them out, bring them out. And that's how you got hyped. Or you listen to like Eminem, which is like lose yourself in the music, the moments and all of these things. Right. So like I came from this like Christian family culture and all of a sudden I'm immersed in a culture that is the world. I'm immersed in this kind of element of where I'm playing sports, I'm really into it, and then hip-hop is like this dominating force. And then they're like, hey, you should listen to some Christian hip-hop. And I think it's gotten a lot better, but at that time, that wasn't even an option. It wasn't that cool, you know what I mean? It wasn't that great at that time. I think it's gotten a lot better. And Kanye got saved, so maybe there's some real hope for this thing. That's <laughs> but why am I saying all this? Because there's this, there's this expectation of how our families ought to engage in church culture. And some of them are traditions. Some of them are traditions that we've found, that we've found to be healthy. Like if you even just looked at why we did family fun fair. There is a part of Halloween that's, that's very much not a positive message. There's very much about the death and the demonic of Halloween that... I don't want my kid growing up naive or ignorant to the idea that there's some really dark forces out there and some of them are celebrated on Halloween. I don't want my kid to be growing up naive to that. I don't want him growing up without the understanding of being enriched in the spirit of Jesus, knowing that there are some incredibly dark forces that manifest in a lot of different ways in the world. I want him to know that there's really cool ways you can celebrate life and family and it doesn't require you compromising your morals. I want him to know that. I also want him to know that he can be in the world, but not of the world. So I get it. There's a real tension and a real balance in this thing. And I can't sit up here and tell you that here's the law of it, that this is what it absolutely looks like in a rigid way for your life. Because then I'd be coaching the law and an instruction manual for you and I to cultivate godliness and family culture all I can say is this, is that there's a design for us in our families to realize the will, the heart, and the mind of Heavenly Father. And in everything we do, we can engage Father's heart and culture. In every decision and practice we make, we engage Father's heart. And why I do this, why I don't do that, why I walked away from this, why I can do this and not be compromised by it, 
in all of my ways, I can acknowledge the reality of Father and allow him to form and to shape it. In all of my ways, in all of our ways, everything we do. Even church attendance is such a unique part of this thing. I grew up going to church all the time. And you begin to ask yourself, okay, so what is true church culture godliness and how should family cultures relate to it? Is it four times or eight times a month being at church? Is that, is that the true representation of the will of Father at work in the earth? Is it once a month at least? Is it once every two months? You begin to ask yourself, like, how am I practicing my life? What does this culture of family look like and why? The big question is why? What is the root of this thing? Because I know why we are called to gather. Hebrews 10 talks about it pretty clearly. It says, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. You know, I, I, as I see this language, I see purpose behind it. See, the will of Father is not there to rigidly and with obligation and duty uh, course correct you, like with vice grips and control. But the will of Father is meant to be a relational partnership, something that you say yes to because you're drawn to his nature. And so you're drawn to church attendance or you're drawn to being at church with people because you're drawn to stir one another up to love and good works. See, the practice of attending church to hear a message or to encounter God, these are actually not the primary biblical practices or intended practices for church. The actual biblical root for church is for us to be present for one another. See, you can encounter God in your closet alone. You can learn about God in your closet alone. And with digital platforms now, you can hear 19 sermons in one day. But you cannot promote and provoke and love each other and provoke each other into good works. And, and, and you cannot do that without gathering. You can't do that without gathering. So in all of the studies I've done on church, why we go, when we go, how often we go, if you're driven by obligation, it's not going to be a healthy practice of church. If you're driven by the relational overflow of love of God in your life, you're going to be driven to be at church because you're going to be like, Jessica's there and I got something for her. George is there and there's something I've been praying about this week and I got it for him. We're going to gather together. I'm going to pray with him. We're going to worship together. How's your family doing? How's your heart? The last time we talked, this is what you said. I've been thinking about you. These are the three scriptures I got to encourage you. I've been texting you during the week. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's like the same reason I started to practice more intentionally as an athlete is I understood that I was practicing for a purpose. Otherwise, practice was the worst. Otherwise, church attendance and just having to be at church can just be terrible if you're only doing it to fulfill an obligation. But if you're doing it because you have this overflow of love and excitement to be with people, to express your gratitude and love for them, to encourage them, to give them courage, to give them edification and exhortation. See, Donye can't get edification from me if I'm not looking him in the eyes and or calling him on the phone and saying, bro, I believe in you, man. What God's called you to, you can do it. You can do it. 
the will of Father in your life, you can realize it. That attitude, that pain, the bitterness, you can let it go and you can realize the nature of Father in your life. I promise you that whatever he's called you to, he will give you the power and the ability to do it if you walk with him. See, this courage that I supply, this courage that you supply, the courage that Tana was supplying to Jessica and I as leaders here, this is the richness of community. Worship encounter, preaching truth encounter is great, but compassion and the infusing of encouragement and edification, that's the family of Christ. And that family is completely complementary and is completely an amazing asset to our blood family culture. When my son Brixton, my daughters Brightly, Presley, and Monroe come into this place, they don't just come because there's an obligation, but they come so that they can engage in the lives around them. And they can hear the little kids around them talk about Jesus or the leaders there talk about how much they love Jesus and how much they love spending time with him, how much they've loved living their life with him. This is a lifestyle of Christianity that should be an asset to families. We should be knocking the door down to get our kids here because they don't experience the weight of obligation or religion but they experience the infusion of encouragement that they can, in fact, be like Christ in their life. That they can overcome the curses that they've seen around them, that they've over, they can overcome those things, that they can overcome the things that ensnare them, that they can overcome the bad decisions they make in their life, that they can overcome darkness, that they can overcome. This is what our design is as a church culture. It's to infuse our family cultures with this, yes, if we follow God, yes. If we follow God, we can. Christ in me, the hope of glory, real relationship with Jesus. This design is relational and it's transformational. It's so much greater than the simple act of this is the standard and this is what you should be. Coaching, promoting standard, the law is just simply trying to create righteousness by the law, and righteousness doesn't come from the law. Righteousness comes from faith and relationship with God. He creates it in me. He clothes me in it. Beyond my capacity, beyond my ability, he resurrects things inside of me that were dead. He creates things that never existed. He repairs and heals those things which are broken and causing destruction and damage. This is the nature of Father. He's not a father that just simply partners with the path of the perfect, but he literally cultivates perfection inside of me. The Bible talks about your heavenly father is perfect. And I got a few scriptures I want to read before we finish this. Because when you talk about father, there's so many scriptures. I'd encourage you to, to read those scriptures. I've got like nine of them here. Matthew 5, 16, 45 and 48. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. 45, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he making his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Matthew 6, 9, 15, 18, and 32. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 15, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. 18, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. There's a few other scriptures I had here, but I think that gives a simple gist of what I'm talking about. Is there is a nature of Father, and it has an implication to every aspect of our life. 
And there is this conviction and this posture in our heart that we say, yes, 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 yes. No matter what part of my identity has me forfeiting, no matter what part of my life it has me laying on the altar, I'm going to lay it all down. 